It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. The typical first objection to theism is the problem of evil. This is undeniably the single greatest barrier to belief in God. When we look at human suffering, we look at a dilemma of cosmic proportions. I am in the process of responding to this problem of evil objection. The problem of evil has three sub-problems. The logical problem of evil, the evidential problem of evil, and the emotional problem of evil. In the last episode, I started to address the logical problem of evil. Today, I continue that process. How to reconcile the evil and God has baffled humanity for centuries. There are various attempts for an answer, but an examination of this problem reveals only three major alternatives. First, evil exists, God doesn't. This is the atheistic alternative. Second, God exists, evil doesn't. This is the pantheistic alternative. And third, God and evil both exist. This is the theistic alternative. Let's consider the first alternative, no God. Evil exists and God doesn't. That's the atheist position. The atheist solves the problem of evil by eliminating God. Evil and suffering are taken as givens, but the existence of God is not. I showed in the last episode that one typical atheistic argument against the existence of God is flawed. In the book, Making Sense Out of Suffering, Peter Kreef lists seven reasons why atheism's answer to the problem of evil comes up short. I discuss a summary of three, four, and six of his reasons. Reason three. The very thing that seems to count against God also counts against atheism. The very existence of evil, rather than being against God, actually points for God's existence. Here is Kreef's reasoning. If there is no God, no creator, and no act of creation, then we and our world got here by mere evolution. And if there is no act of creation, and therefore no beginning, then the universe has been in existence always, and there is no first cause. But if the universe has been evolving for an infinite time, then the universe should be already perfect by now. There has been plenty of time for evolution to have finished its work. 
There should be no evil left. So, the very existence of evil proves the atheist is wrong about the universe. Moral evil, spiritual evil, also proves God. Spiritual evil could not evolve from mindless matter. Moral evil can only come from moral agents, souls. There can't be more in an effect than in its causes. If you admit the existence of moral evil, you must trace it back to moral agents or souls, and souls to God, not molecules. Reason four. If there is no God, no infinite goodness, where did we get the idea of evil? Where do we get the standard of goodness by which we judge evil as evil? Worst of all, if the universe is so bad, how on earth did human beings ever come to attribute it to the activity of a wise and good creator? These facts need to be accounted for. Big bangs and bumping molecules won't do it. Let me interject an interaction between Ravi Zacharias and a student from the University of Nottingham in England early in Ravi Zacharias's career as an apologist. The interaction can be found in Zacharias's book, Can Man Live Without God, on page 182. Zacharias had no sooner finished his lecture when the student shot out of his seat and blurted out rather angrily, there is too much evil in this world. Therefore, there cannot be a God. Zacharias asked him to remain standing and answer a few questions from himself. Zacharias said, If there is not such a thing as evil, aren't you assuming there is such a thing as good? The student paused, reflected, and answered, I guess so. Zacharias continued, when you accept the existence of goodness, you must affirm a moral law on the basis of which to differentiate between good and evil. But when you admit to a moral law, you must posit a moral law giver. That, however, is who you are trying to disprove and not prove. For if there is no moral law giver, there is no moral law. If there's no moral law, there is no good, and if there is no good, there is no evil. What then is your question? Reason number six. It is hard to die as an atheist, but relatively easy to live as one. Atheism cheapens the world, cheapens us, and cheapens life. Belief in God does not squash man. It raises man to a divine image. In classical Greek drama, in the Bible, in Shakespeare, man is great because he breathes the air of the absolute. In Faulkner, Guide, Sartre, Camus, Beckett, and nine out of ten lesser 20th century writers Man is 
full of sound and fury, signifying nothing, because he is a cosmic orphan. His universe is man-sized, not God-sized. Spiritually, it is we, not the ancients, who live in a tiny world. Life in the atheistic world is a meaningless flicker of a candle for a few years between the cold and barren darkness of two eternal nights. Atheism screws down the manhole covers on the great deeps and flattens the sky to a low ceiling. Let me try to substantiate a claim of my own that atheism cheapens science. The theory that evolutionary biologists like Richard Dawkins and other philosophical materialists are really promoting, and which creationists oppose, is the idea that particles in matter, like dirt, rocks, grass, trees, plants, and water in a primordial pond, gradually, over time, evolve into beings that are conscious and self-aware. In other words, matter at some point becomes alive and conscious. This is what the theory of evolution by random mutation and natural selection is promoting. The scientist and Christian apologist Roy Abraham Varghese comments, Once you understand the nature of matter, of mass energy, you realize by its very nature it could never become aware, never think never say ah but the atheist position is that at some point in the history of the universe the impossible and the inconceivable took place undifferentiated matter energy at some point became alive then conscious then conceptually proficient then an eye matter has none of the properties of being conscious, and given infinite time, it cannot acquire such properties. The issue of consciousness has become a real problem for those with an atheistic worldview. Darwinian evolution apparently has a difficult time accounting for it. Witness what Thomas Nagel has said about it in his book, Mind and Cosmos. One of two of Nagel's major subjects, the human mind, is taken to be so important a part of nature that no science unable to fully explain it can claim to have a methodology able in the long run to understand nature. In chapters 3 through 5, Nagel turns his attention to consciousness, cognition, and value. His overriding question is, will the present methodology of science, in which only physical evidence counts as evidence, finally prove equal to explaining these three, or will it fail? Nagel says, no conception of the natural order that does not reveal the existence of consciousness as something to be expected can aspire even to the outlines of completeness.
And if physical science leaves us necessarily in the dark about consciousness, that shows that it cannot provide the basic form of intelligibility for this world. There must be a very different way in which things as they are make sense. And that includes the physical world, since the problem cannot be quarantined in the mind. On page 7 of his book, Nagel writes, The world is an astonishing place, and the idea that we have in our possession the basic tools needed to understand it is no more credible now than it was in Aristotle's day. In the same paragraph, he says, I realize that such doubts about a fully mechanistic account of the origin of and evolution of life will strike many people as outrageous. But that is because almost everyone in our secular culture has been browbeaten into regarding the reductive research program as sacrosanct on the ground that anything else would not be science. His point is not to argue for Aristotle's physics, but rather to argue that future physics may well differ as much from today's physics as today's does from Aristotle's, which is to say as much as science differs from natural history or philosophy from religion. In brief, Nagel writes on one of the final pages of his book, value is not just an accidental side effect of life. Rather, there is life because life is a necessary condition of value. This is about as glaringly anti-Darwinian hypothesis as one can expect to find in contemporary literature. But Nagel adds, this is a revision of the Darwinian picture rather than a denial of it. In my college days, the world's foremost atheist was Anthony Flew. But after five decades of defending atheism, Flew changed his mind. In his book, There is a God, he reveals that one major influence that caused him to change his mind from atheism to theism came from reading the book Wonder of the World by Roy Abraham Varghese. The book provides an extensive argument on the order of nature. Flew asked Varghese to write an appendix for Flew's book, There is a God. Here's what Varghese wrote. Life, consciousness, mind, and the self can only come from a source that is living, conscious, and thinking. It is simply inconceivable that any material matrix or field can generate agents who can think and act. Matter cannot produce conceptions or perceptions. A force field does not plan or think. So, at the level of reason and everyday experience, we become immediately aware that the world of living, conscious, thinking beings 
has to originate in a living source a mind. I will return to the problem of evil in the next episode. In the meantime, exercise daily. Walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.